Good morning, saints. My name is Mitchell Slater. I'm one of the elders here at River Oaks, and it is my, my great pleasure to get to open up the Word of God with you this morning. I do want to say, starting off, because this is going to be a passage about prayer, that if you have felt that, that the last few months, this year, has been difficult to pray, that you are not alone, uh, I feel like just prayers have felt dry and cold so often, and I've spent the last few weeks really meditating, thinking on this text, and it's really warmed my heart. It's revived my prayers in so many ways, and I just want that to be true for you. So I don't want this sermon to be a guilt trip. I feel like that often happens. You know, we leave a, a sermon on prayer, and we think, oh, I just, you know, I just got beat up. I need to pray more. I know I don't pray enough. I don't want that to happen. I want... I want this to be a great motivator and an energizer and encouragement to your prayers. I've been praying that we would leave here wanting to pray and hungering to pray. So let's start off with with a word of prayer. Father, we need you. We need you to come and help us through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer boldly because of the work of Christ. Father, we pray for help now from your spirit that you would would take your word and you would show us Christ. You would show us what he's done for us. You would show us the great gift that, that we have in prayer. I pray that you would reignite our passion to seek you in prayer and that you would turn this church into a praying church. God, we need you to do the work. We need you to keep Satan far away from this place. We need your Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. So we ask these things for the glory of your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. But for one one last time, let's read verses 10 through 20. Hear now the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. (laughs) 
praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Oh, Father, help me to speak the word of Christ boldly. Holy Spirit, please bring a gift to your people from your word. Amen. I want to ask you a question. When you're given a year like 2020, how do you respond? When you turn on the news or when you get on social media or you listen to a podcast, whatever it is that you do, and you see civil unrest, widespread lawlessness, a global pandemic, racial strife, the slaughter of innocents, godless ideologies, abuses of power, and the like. When you see those things, how do you respond? Well, over the last few months, I've seen two responses that seem to come up again and again. I call these people the, the doomsayer and the culture warrior. So what do I mean by, by doomsayer? Well, this is the person who is always predicting impending calamity and disaster. This response is pessimistic, it's defeatist, it, it, it's doom and gloom. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing that we can do to stop it. Now, there's something good in this reaction. We, we need to be realistic. We don't want to view the world through rose-colored glasses when we're living in dark days, and we are. But ultimately, we're not called to be doomsayers. We're not called to pessimism. The other option is the culture warrior. This is the person who sees the problems of the world and wants to find a, a solution. They want to engage the culture. Maybe they want to be an, an activist, an influencer. They typically view politics as the solution and the next election as their ultimate hope. And again, there's something good in this response. Culture is important. Politics are an important uh, they play a role in our lives. We should engage the world around us. But still, we're not called to be culture warriors. So if those two options are out, then what should we do? What is the Christian response to a world out of control? Well, Paul's simple answer here is pray. Pray pray. And that may seem overly simplistic. It's like, well, there has to be more than that. And of course there's more than that. We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to build godly households, godly churches. But it has to begin with prayer. All of that counts for nothing if we're not seeking the Lord's power through prayer. So the world laughs at this response. It's too simplistic. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. And even for us in the church, we can think to ourselves, yeah, it sounds good, but is that really, that really it? We're supposed to pray. 
but the word of God confronts us and calls us to pray. So whether you lean towards being a a doomsayer or, or a culture warrior, this passage calls you to something higher, to being a prayer warrior. Last week, Chris showed us that worship is warfare, and we've emphasized that again today. But in this message, I want to zoom in and look specifically at how prayer is warfare. Prayer is warfare. So we use that term prayer warrior very often to talk about, you know, those believers who are especially gifted to devote themselves to prayer. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know, they're really more the special forces. That's the prayer Navy SEALs. And we have all been called to make war when we pray because prayer is warfare. So I want to summarize our passage like like this. Prayer is the church's stronghold and armory against the kingdom of darkness. So prayer is the church's stronghold. It's It's the place of defense where we can run to find protection from the attacks of the evil one. And it is our armory. It's the storehouse of of weapons that we can use in battle against the evil one. It is both defensive and offensive. It is our stronghold and our armory against Satan's kingdom of darkness. We even saw this in our call to worship from Psalm 144. The Lord trains our hands for battle. And he is our stronghold. So first, we're going to focus on, on, on God as our stronghold, on prayer as our stronghold. And of course, we know that, that God himself is our stronghold, our mighty fortress, our strong tower. But prayer is what connects us to him. We just read Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. We run into it through prayer. And we need this protection because we have a dangerous enemy. That ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, is actively opposed to God and to his word and to his gospel and to his people. The evil one actively wants to destroy our souls, destroy our families, our churches, our communities, our nations, even our cultures. So we need to pray. There's this interesting story in in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel, he's in exile and he starts praying and fasting for 21 days. He has no response until the 21st day, when, when an angel comes to him and he says, Daniel, from the moment you started praying, I started coming to you. But, but the prince of Persia, so there's some, some spiritual force, some evil spiritual being behind the Persian empire, he started coming and do battle with me. And I had to go get some reinforcements. And now I've made it to you. Could you imagine being Daniel? Like, what in the world? Prayer is so much greater than what we think it is. Now, for those first 20 days, Daniel had no idea that was happening. But when he started praying on earth, battle started raging in the heavenly places. 
And that is true whether we know it or not. We need to pray. There is a war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And even though the war is still ongoing and the battle still rages, the war has been won. It has been won by our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. We are not fighting a losing war. So we're here in Tennessee. Tennessee is the volunteer state. And that's because we sent volunteers to the Battle of the Alamo. Let's try that again. The Battle of the Alamo. Alamo. Okay. And that was a heroic deed of sending soldiers to that battle. But ultimately, we were sending soldiers to a losing battle. And I fear that we often view the church as God's Alamo, a noble but ultimately hopeless cause. So maybe we hope for a last-minute rescue. We hope for you know, a helicopter ride out before things get too bad. But in reality, this is hopelessness. And hopelessness leads to prayerlessness. Why pray? Why pray if we're in a losing war? But we are a people of hope. Jesus does not recruit volunteers for a losing mission. No, he enlists soldiers. He gives them armor and weapons, and he equips them to stand firm even in the fiercest battle. So we need to pray. And the Lord seems to enjoy putting his people in difficult situations, in difficult battles, to cause them to pray and to teach us to pray. There's this very interesting passage that I stumbled across this week in Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 through 9. The prophet says this In the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish. So two-thirds of the people are brought to judgment. They're gone. And one-third shall be left alive. That's a remnant. God has preserved a faithful remnant of his people. And I will put this third, I'll put my faithful remnant into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. Do you hear that? God is saying, I'm the refiner, and I'm going to take my people and put them into the blast furnace so I can teach them to pray and show them that when they pray, I will answer them. We see this all throughout the scripture. God leads his people right up to the Red Sea with the hosts of Pharaoh coming after them. And the people are crying out to God, and God says, stop crying out to me. Just wait, be still, and see the salvation of your God. Hezekiah in Jerusalem, when that city was surrounded by the Assyrians, by their foes, he he cried out to the Lord and God sent one angel that killed 185,000 men in one night. God was teaching them to pray. He puts his people in the furnace to refine our prayers. He gives us a year like 2020 to teach us how to pray. So how are we to pray? How do we seek help from God, our stronghold? 
First, Paul tells us to pray at all times. Look at verse 18. He says, simply, praying at all times. That is, to pray constantly, to pray on all occasions, to pray without ceasing. We are weak and needy. So we need to rely on the Lord's strength moment by moment. Psalm 105 verse 3 says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Now, we often hear those verses about pray without ceasing, pray at all times, and we hear them as a crushing burden. Of, Man, I know I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to be praying all the time, but, but I don't do it. And so, you know, it's going on a guilt trip. But it's not, it's not the purpose Those verses are not meant to be a burden. They're meant to be an invitation, a joyful invitation, a glorious privilege given to the children of God that that God is saying, pray to me, talk to me all the time. You have full access to God wherever you go. At any point in time, you have access to God. Christianity is not a religion where maybe we have to wait for a special day and make some pilgrimage to a holy place and find a priest and say the right words and do the right rituals and then maybe, just maybe, we'll get access to God. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near. You've been given the privilege of knowing God and having access to His throne at all times. Now, if you're here and you don't know Christ, if you've not repented of your sins and put your trust in the gospel, then I want you to know that 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 is not true for you. I'm not saying that to be harsh, but this is what the Word of God says. Proverbs 15, 29 The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Because of your sin, you are far off from God. You cannot earn a hearing with him. You cannot draw near to him. But but if that's you, you, if you recognize that you are far from God, there is good news for you. The scriptures say that Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can't come to God even in prayer except through Christ. So if that's you, I want you to know that the one prayer that God loves to hear and delights to answer is the prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Cry out to him and he will save you. But for those of you who are in Christ, who know him, you've been given the gift of full access to your Father in heaven. And we are in constant and desperate need for him, so we need to pray at all times. We also need to pray with persistence. Again, verse 18. About halfway through, Paul says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul calls us here to keep alert. 
to not sleep, to stay awake at our post. We are in a war that does not stop with an adversary that does not sleep. So we need to stay alert with all perseverance, with persistence. The number one thing that Satan wants for you and for this church is for us to stop praying, to give up on prayer. George Mueller was a man that has a lot of inspiration uh, on on prayer. He was a um, Christian in London in the 1800s. He ran an orphanage. But one thing that's always stuck out to me about him, one story from his life, is that when he was a young man, he decided that he was going to pray for five of his his friends who were lost. He's going to pray for their souls. And after a few months, one of them was saved. Great encouragement. It took 10 years before two more of those friends were saved. 10 years. After 25 years of prayer, of consistent, steady, persevering prayer, a fourth friend was converted. And then after 52 years of praying, up until his death, finally, that fifth friend was saved right after Mueller's funeral. That's the kind of prayer that we need. We need to persist. We need to persevere. We need to stay alert. So I want to ask you, have you given up in prayer? Have you lost heart or become discouraged? What requests have you stopped praying for? I had to really think about this this week. I realized that there's several people who I have prayed for for years to be saved and they still seem hardened to the gospel and I realized that it's been months since I've prayed for them. Oh, how we need to persevere in prayer. We need to pray for ourselves, for our family, for the lost. All of that is good but but Paul in verse 18 says pray for all the saints. We are to pray for the defense of the entire army. And ask God to to give aid and supplies to our fellow soldiers to defend them from Satan's schemes and attacks. One of the greatest tests of maturity in your Christian life, it's not how much time you pray or how consistent you are in prayer. It's, It's how often you pray for your fellow believers. They need your prayers. When you're talking to a fellow Christian, they're someone who is under attack or a potential attack. It's always one of the two. And they need your prayers. They need your support before God's throne. So I want to ask you another question. If God were to answer every prayer that you've prayed in the last week or in the last month, and he answered them exactly as you prayed it right now, who would be affected? Who would notice outside of you and your immediate family? The answer to that question 
will show us a lot about the health of our prayer life and our maturity in Christ. We need to pray for one another because God is the defender of his people. But I want you to notice that, that this doesn't always look like our expectations. Right? We talk about God as our, as our stronghold. He is our fortress. But notice, Paul says in verse 20, I am an ambassador in chains. Paul was locked up in prison, and he didn't ask for prayer for his release. He didn't say, pray to get me out of this, this prison. No, he prayed for gospel advance. He said, open my mouth that I may declare the mystery of the gospel. See, we are soldiers, but we are soldiers of the cross. We are followers of the Lamb who was slain. So we are called to conquer, but it is a cruciform conquest. It's a cross-shaped victory. So sometimes the greatest defense that God can provide to his people is to give us the grace to persevere through suffering, even to be faithful unto death. Prayer is our stronghold. And second, prayer is our armory. Okay, so it's not just meant for defensive purposes. Prayer is meant to be an offensive assault against the gates of hell. And note that this is the climax of the letter to the Ephesians. Everything that we've read, everything that we've studied so far, leads up to this point, to this conflict, a conflict that we are all called to engage in. This is so much more than the so-called culture wars. I discovered something very interesting during my study this week. That in um, the ancient uh, Greek poems, the, the epic poems, there was a section that would always come, normally near the end, called the Aristeia. The Aristeia. It's a Greek word that means excellence in this context, this context military excellence. <laughs> this was started by, uh, by Homer in the Iliad, you know, in the in the Trojan War, uh, there was an Aristea for Achilles as he was going up against the Trojan forces. What this was, was it was the, the warrior's uh, shining moment. It was, the, it was their finest hour. What would happen was they would go up against an enemy that seemed unbeatable. But they would win. And not just win, they would outright, I mean, it was a slaughter, it was a rampage. But the way you know that the Aristea is starting is because it goes through a very detailed description of that hero, that champion, putting on their armor piece by piece. So it shows Achilles putting on his boots and his, and his breastplate and his shield and his helmet. It's starting to sound familiar. Troy was just several miles, about a day's walk from Ephesus. That was a Greek city. They would have known these stories very well. They would have known when Paul starts describing these pieces of armor, these slow descriptions of each piece of armor, they said, we know what's happening. We know what's happening. Now what happens next is after this, this Greek warrior puts his armor on, one of his, his you know, Greco-Roman false gods comes down and, and blesses him for the battle. 
What have we already seen in Ephesians? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have received God's blessing. So the Ephesians would be thinking, God has given us armor. He has given his blessing to us. We know what comes next. What comes next is victory. What comes next is a divinely aided, a divinely blessed rampage against a seemingly unbeatable enemy. What an encouragement this must have been to the small, fledgling church in Ephesus. Just imagine that situation that they were in. A persecuted, seemingly insignificant minority in the midst of a wicked and pagan city. Into that situation, Paul announced the church's aristeia, their their military excellence, their shining moment. He's saying, look, you've suited up with your armor. The triune God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. The evil one has no chance of winning now. Victory has been assured. With God, we shall do valiantly. That is the encouragement that Paul was bringing to this church and to ours. Now, when I call prayer our armory, I use that term deliberately. Let's read verse 18 one more time. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication or or petition. All prayer. That is all types of prayer, all varieties of prayer. Prayer isn't just one weapon in the Christian life. Prayer is a fully loaded arsenal, a well-stocked armory filled with weapons. God has given us such a variety in prayer. There's not one way to pray. We can pray long prayers. We can pray short prayers. Discipline set times of prayer each day and spontaneous prayers throughout our day. Spoken prayers and sung prayers. I want to focus on that one in a minute. After this message, we're going to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I want us to recognize when we sing, especially that song, the battle hymn of the Reformation, we are coming together, not just as people who... who, like to sing some songs. We are gathering as the armies of the Lord to sing praise in the midst of battle. I love 2 Chronicles 20, where King Jehoshaphat, um, he finds out that these two armies have united. They're coming against him. And he says, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you, Lord. And through a prophet, God tells him, send the choir out in front of the army. Okay, so that's not what we would think to do, right? Oh, well, let's get the singers, right? Put them out front. But that's what he does. He puts the choir in front of his fighting force, and they start singing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And as soon as they start singing, God throws their enemies into confusion, and they defeat each other. They don't even have to fight. That's what we do when we pray. And when we sing, and when we gather together to worship. But we also need individual, family, and corporate prayer. 
So we need to pray as individuals, right? We need to go and, and be alone with God. Go into our closet and pray in secret as our Lord taught us. We need family prayers, fathers and mothers. You need to pray for your children and with your children and teach your children how to pray. Right? The, the prayers of a child can topple an empire. We often quote the verse about children being arrows in our quiver, but arrows are meant to be used. <laughs> Utilize your children. Teach them that they can enter into this battle now. And, and young ones, I want to speak to you that your prayers are just as precious to God as an adult's. If you've trusted in Christ, this is true for you. But we also need corporate prayer. That's what I want to focus on for a moment. That is gathering together as a church to pray. The armor of God is not just given to individual Christians for the various battles we will face, though it is. But it's also given to the church as a whole to win victory in the war. Whenever you gather together with the saints to pray, I want you to have this image in your head. That those believers that you're praying with, you're each, you're holding a battering ram in siege warfare going up against the very gates of hell. And we expect them to fall because our Lord promised that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is precisely what we do when we pray. So we need to pray together. There's several opportunities to do this. We've already talked about, about growth group. Right, but that's where we come to pray for each other, to cover each other in, in those defensive prayers, to pray for each other to be offensive as we go back into the world to, to preach the gospel. Sometimes it's good just to get a few believers together to pray. Just say, let's come over to my house. Let's, let's spend some time in prayer. What a powerful thing. One of the highlights of my week is there's about a handful of us who who go out in the parking lot over here at 5.30 in the morning on Wednesdays and pray and cry out to God for revival in our nation. Just such a blessing. Such a blessing, those times of prayer. And Lord willing, we're going to be starting a new corporate prayer gathering. We're trying to start uh, praying on the first Friday evening uh, of each month. Going to be looking out for, for more communications on that. But we do these things because we need to pray. This is the work of the church. And it's so easy to, to, you know, see on the calendar, okay, the church is gathering to pray, but, you know, I, I'd rather go hear, hear some teaching, be fed by the Word, or maybe, you know, go hear the music, but praying, uh, but I want you to fight that attitude, because prayer is the work of the church. That's where the work of God always begins. That's where power is. When we gather together to pray, something big is happening. Now we see even more types of prayer when we look at this phrase, pray in the Spirit. Right in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So what does that mean, to pray in the Spirit? Well, it means quite a lot, actually. We could probably spend a whole sermon series on what it means to pray in the Spirit. So 
Just one thing it means that I want to talk about is this, and we can, we can see it if we just look at the immediate context in Ephesians. So back up to verse 17. Paul says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Do you hear that? He says, take the sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit. What he's saying is, wield the sword in your prayers. Don't leave your weapon in its sheath. In other words, pray the Bible. Use the words of Scripture to fuel your prayers. If you've ever thought, I don't even know what to pray. God has given us His Word. He's given us His Word. So you could do this with any text of the Bible. Just open up to a chapter of Scripture, read a verse, turn it into a prayer. Read another verse, pray. Keep going through it. But there's three specific parts of the Bible that I think are a great asset to our prayer life. That is the Lord's Prayer, the prayers of Paul, and the Psalms. Okay, so the Lord's Prayer, right? That is a warfare prayer. When we pray for, for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for God to destroy Satan's kingdom and build Christ's kingdom in its ruins. That's what we're asking. Pray it petition by petition. Hallowed be your name, Father. Oh, in my life, in my marriage, with my kids, at my workplace. Glorify your name. Your kingdom come. Oh, bring this family member into your kingdom. Save them. Save this neighbor. Right, go through petition by petition and pray. The prayers of Paul are so rich. We've already gone through several of them here in Ephesians, right? In chapter 1 and chapters 3. They're also in Colossians 1, Philippians 1, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3. Pray his prayers. And the Psalms. The Spirit has breathed out for us 150 prayers and hymns that we can pray and sing back to him. And in the Psalter, he's given us such a variety of prayers. Prayers of worship and praise, of confession and repentance, of lament and grief, of thanksgiving and adoration. And one category that I think we often neglect, prayers of imprecation and judgment. Now, for those of you that know what that is, I know that probably makes you feel a little uncomfortable. These are the the prayers where David or others are calling down the curses of God on the enemies of God. We often get kind of squeamish when we get to this part of the scriptures. David is, is, is saying, break the teeth out of the wicked. He's saying, drive them away from your presence. Utterly destroy them. We think, oh, I can't. How can I pray that? But God has given them to us. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. And He gave us those to guide our prayers. Now, there's a lot that we could say here, but we need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I'm not telling you to go pray these against someone that you don't like. I'm telling you to pray these against the evil one and his kingdom of darkness. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs more violent prayers. Not physically violent. Spiritually violent. 
When you see Satan working in our world, you should say, destroy him. Get rid of him. Don't let him go a day longer with that. Break his teeth, if he has teeth. Pray those against the kingdom of darkness. And ultimately, the way that Jesus plunders Satan's kingdom is by taking his enemies and transforming them into his saints. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. If you're a Christian, you have defected from Satan's kingdom and been transferred to a new one. I want you to think about the early church. Before Paul was converted, when he was Saul of Tarsus and he was ravaging the church, how do you think they were praying? I'm sure they were praying, Lord, stop him. Lord, he is hunting us down and dragging us to prison. Lord, end his persecution. Stop this. And God did. God destroyed Saul of Tarsus. And he raised up the Apostle Paul. And this man who was once ravaging the church, persecuting God's people, God now used him to plant churches all over the known world and write half the New Testament. That's what we want to happen. That's how Satan's kingdom falls. So we have a mission, a mission to preach the gospel, but that mission has to begin with prayer. If you look throughout history, every great revival where we see God raising up men to go and to preach his gospel boldly, we see hundreds and thousands of souls being saved and nations turning back to the Lord. It all starts with prayer with a few Christians, with a burden to pray. And they pray and they persist and they persevere. And then God raises up a a Jonathan Edwards or a George Whitfield or a John Wesley and brings salvation to many, many souls. It has to begin with prayer. And we see this clearly in verses 19 and 20, where Paul now says, pray also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now that just blows me away. The Apostle Paul, of all people, is asking for boldness. If there was one person that I would consider to be bold and courageous and brave and fearless, it's Paul. In a few weeks, we're going to finish Ephesians and we're going to start studying through the book of Acts. And you're going to see Paul do some crazy things in the book of Acts. Like he is bold. He's preaching in the city and then people start stoning him to death. And his friends drag him out and, and God raises him back up. And he says, I'm going back in there to keep preaching. That's Paul, and he's saying, he's saying, I need boldness. We see the same thing in Acts 4, in that prayer meeting, after Peter and John have been beaten for preaching the gospel and threatened. They come together, and they don't pray for their suffering to end. They say, Lord, help us continue to speak the word with all boldness. Help us to keep wielding the sword of the Spirit, to open our mouths, to speak the words of God. That's the ultimate offense against Satan's kingdom. 
the, the preaching of the word of God and of his glorious gospel. But brothers and sisters, the great need in our day is courage. We have to recognize that courage is a virtue and cowardice is a vice. The fear of man is a snare, but the fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. God, throughout his word, has called his people to be strong and courageous. And even this section in Ephesians starts off with saying, be strong in the Lord. So we may not have the exact same threats that Paul was facing, but there are many temptations to fear. There are situations that you will face where you know that speaking boldly about Christ will get you in trouble. It might change people's opinion about you. It might affect your social standing. It could get you into the HR office or get you out of a job. And I fear that these situations are going to be coming more and more. So we need boldness and we need prayer. If we are to faithfully execute our mission and preach the gospel to all creation, we need to get on our faces and pray. And in just a few moments, we get to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. When someone comes out of that water, we get a stunning visual of Christ's victorious kingdom. We get to see that the devil has just lost another slave to King Jesus. Christ has opened their eyes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the living God. So to those of you who are being baptized, I want you to know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is commissioning you to join this triumphant army of the King. So we need to pray at all times, with all types of prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. Prayer is warfare. You have been called as a prayer warrior. And prayer is the church's stronghold and armory against the kingdom of darkness. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that though we have a great enemy, we have a far greater Savior and King. We thank you for your precious promises, promises that your kingdom will advance, that your purposes will prosper on the earth, that Satan is a defeated foe. He's been cast down out of heaven, and he is angry because he knows his time is short. We thank you that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We thank you that through his cross and through his resurrection, he is redeeming men. He's plundering Satan's kingdom. He's bound the strong man and is plundering his house. So we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you would deliver us from the evil one. You would lead us not into temptation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So all glory and all praise and all worship be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.